0: Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Thursday. Happy day before Friday. We're soldiering right through this week. We're having a great week and we're going to have an awesome uh, Thursday show for you today. We're going to talk some sports with Steve Kim. We're going to talk some culture with uh, Shamika Michelle. We're going to talk my response to Patrick Beck David's response. To my explanation of what happened on Monday, I'm going to count through all the lies that Patrick Bett david told uh, during an 11-minute response. Uh, we'll do that at the end of today's show, but we want to start with the big major news uh, happening in the sports world. Kevin Durant traded from Brooklyn to the Phoenix Suns, forming a big three with Devin Booker and Chris Paul, and seemingly uh, changing the balance of the West and of the entire NBA. Kevin Durant has another big three that he's playing with. This this would be his fourth big three. Oklahoma City, it was Durant, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook in their youthful years. Then he goes to Golden State, and it's Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Kevin Durant. Then he goes to Brooklyn originally, and it's James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant. And now he's in Phoenix with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Kevin Durant and DeAndre Ayton. I wouldn't call it a big four, but DeAndre Ayton, he's not mashed potatoes. He's, you know, a legitimate big man center and a force in the NBA. Is. I don't think this could be considered a better super team than the Golden State Warriors. But on paper, they're the best team right now in all of basketball and certainly in the West, although I'll be rooting for Kyrie Irving and the Dallas Mavericks. So uh, let's bring in the Korean Cosell, uh, Steve Kim, let's roll out to Los Angeles. Steve, I want to start here not speaking specifically about this team, but just all the player movement, all the super team uh, reincarnations we have, and and how the top players just jump from team to team to team. I just read an Ethan Strauss uh, column where he actually thinks this latest move by Kevin Durant has added intrigue to the NBA, and this is good for the NBA. This new super team, Kevin Durant, uh, has started. But overall, I kind of disagree with Ethan, but Ethan's very smart, follows the NBA very closely, perhaps knows better than I do. Uh, Does this latest batch of massive player movement, that that includes Russell Westbrook getting dealt to Utah, we'll talk about that in a second, but does it hurt the NBA?
1: I don't know if it hurts it, but look, Ethan Strauss has a point. It adds more intrigue. I'm not so sure it's great for the overall health of the league. In the short term, it has certainly given it a jolt. I mean, Jason, last night, I'm flipping through my phone, and I'm seeing these pictures of Kevin Durant with some other teammates and the Suns. Now, I honestly, again, I don't follow the NBA like I once used to. I thought those were memes being made up by fans as a possibility until I clicked the link and I said, wait a minute, this is real? Uh, And as you said about Kevin Durant, I mean, he's been a part of more threesomes than the Playboy Mansion. Uh, There comes a point in time (laughs) where he is now just a basketball vagabond. This is not a great look. And I said this a couple of years ago. I think I actually said it to you last year. When Kevin Durant left the safe cocoon of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green in Golden State, Now the pressure was really on. He already checked off the boxes of the championship rings. I believe they won two. Now he had to win it as the number one guy, regardless of who else was surrounding him. And what happened in New Jersey isn't necessarily all his fault, but he was the centerpiece of that unit. As I I look back at what happened at New Jersey, the super teams that are formed have very, very... Up and down track record. As a Laker fan, Jason, I still remember about a decade ago when Kobe Bryant wanted to win one more ring. We had one last sliver of hope as he entered the twilight of his prime, and they brought in Dwight Howard and Steve Nash, and the thing was a disaster. I mean, you could tell by the third game, uh, this ain't going to work. Square pegs, round holes. They never got along, and it it was a bust. As it relates to Kevin Durant, as you said, there's a lot of talent. He doesn't necessarily have to be the leading scorer every game, especially with Devin Booker involved. If he cannot lead that unit to at least an NBA Finals run, we got to reevaluate just what is Kevin Durant other than a really, really gifted scorer.
0: I, well, I, I, would, I do expect them. To make it to the finals. They, they they just, in my view, don't have a week to say. I think they have a very good head coach in Monty Williams. They got a solid point guard. Look, there's almost an argument to be made that Chris Paul has more at stake no. if yeah. he can't. Win a championship with Kevin Durant as their best player, you know, one of the best scorers in NBA history. Devin Booker, a guy right in the prime of his career, uh, definitely a shot maker and a scorer. This puts a little pressure on Chris Paul. I mean, you know, for a while he was the victim of he didn't get traded to the Lakers and, you know, David Stern stepped in. Well, you know, Phoenix has been one of the best teams, regular season teams in the last couple of years, but they've never been able to finish the deal by winning a championship. Now he has no excuses in my, in, in my view. And so there's a lot of pressure on Chris Paul. There will be some pressure on Kevin Durant, which kind of leads me to my next question as it relates to Kevin Durant. If he wins a championship with the Suns, It sounds like you think it will enhance his reputation.
1: No, not really. No. Because when you have to engineer all this, look, you give him credit, but is he the catalyst? And this is where I I would push back on Ethan Strauss. I think the strength of the NBA during its glory days was that players, they moved. There were trades. There were guys that were unhappy. They forced their way out. Free agency has been a part of this league for several decades But, Jason, and and maybe this is me again, screaming at the clouds being Stadler and Waldorf, okay? I get it. I'm the old guy telling kids to get off my lawn. I think the league, to me, the league is better off when players have an identity with a certain team and city. I'll be honest with you. if If I'm a New Jersey Nets fan, all 50 of them, right, in that area, or Brooklyn, excuse me, that's how detached I am, I don't know if I would ever invest in season tickets again. What are you getting? In fact, I I don't know if I lived in any NBA city if I wouldn't just go to a game or two and pray that the guy that I want to see is not load managing because there is no identity with the franchise. Look, when me and you were kind of the same age. When we grew up, when we thought of the Celtics, we immediately thought of Bird, McHale, Dennis Johnson, Parrish, the Lakers, Magic, Cooper, Kareem, Worthy, Byron, Scott, and so on. Now you get a lot of guys making tens of millions of dollars. And if it makes any type, if there's any type of adversity or things don't work out, they whine and pout their way out of the city. There's, no, I, there's really no identity to this league. But I give Golden State credit. They're the one team where I kind of say that's the core unit. I kind of know them. I'm familiar with them. And when they're on TV, I kind of know what I'm getting. But again, I'll be honest, I'm a very, very detached NBA fan. As of right now, I am less than a casual observer. So maybe I'm not the right guy to to actually ask this question.
0: Listen, as you were sitting there talking, I, I just started thinking about my relationship as a sports fan started with the Indiana Pacers. Mm. All the way back in their ABA days, my dad took me to games. That's how I became a sports fan. It was the team I was most passionate about. It's the only team that ever rivaled, after I you know, got to be 21, 22, that ever rivaled my passion with Ball State. And, and so I was literally, as you were sitting there talking, I was like, who's the best player on the Indiana Pacers? Yeah, I, I, and, and I was struck. I had to go to Google. Paul George. Yeah, and oh, literally, and oh that's God. that's the last time I really cared. I, I, I yeah, I I liked, and and I can remember. Let's go to a player that's not even as good as Paul George. I remember the Danny Granger years. Mm. I can't I can't think of who without looking it up and seeing that Tyrese Halliburton or Miles oh. Turner's been there for a while. I don't know, I, I don't know who the Jason, best player is on what used to be my favorite team in all of professional sports.
1: Jason, I still remember the Larry Brown Pacers who were always about the fourth or fifth best team in the NBA, could never get over the top, but they had the Davis guys, Dale and Antonio, right? They had uh, Travis yep,
0: best, The Bruce brothers.
1: And they had the great Reggie Miller, the pride of Riverside. And I still remember Chuck Person, so like, that is scary to me that I'm not even a Pacers fan. And right now I just thought of a name, LaSalle Thompson. LaSalle, if you're out there, hey, you're a great Pacer. Don't know what you're doing. I hope you're watching the show and enjoying it. Oh, Rick Smith. Cannot forget the Flying Dutchman, who, by the way, he made a cameo in Coming to America because in the basketball scene, Marist is playing
0: at the Garden. So
1: I just thought I'd throw that in there. But it's amazing.
0: Let me throw that- a name at you. Let me see if you really know your Pacers yeah. history. Herb Williams.
1: <laughs> Herb Williams, 32. He was a tough power forward and actually had a pretty good, decent run at the end of his career with the Knicks. So, and that guy had about a dozen-year career. So, there, there came a point where the NBA, believe it or not, to our younger audience. Uh, he had a 20-year career. 20-year, okay. Well, the NBA Man. at a certain point, I remember reading stories, Jason, in the mid to late 80s how this league with Michael Jordan, Bird, Magic, they were going to rival the National Football League. And in fact, they made some real strides in terms of television ratings and not attendance, but in terms of the interest. Jason, right now we literally have exhibition games in the National Football League or early week one, two, and three games. They do bigger audiences than the NBA Finals. Think about that.
0: The Pro Bowl was a flag football game. It did 6 million viewers. That's the They'd thing. be able Jason, to kill for a regular season game that even approached $6 million. Jason,
1: this is, again, where the mainstream media was not was not honest and they had an agenda to push a certain sport. They would say, nobody cares about the Pro Bowl. And I would joke about it on Twitter the last few years, saying I can't wait for Pro Bowl Sunday. And people would bite back at me, but then I'd say, well, wait a minute. Look at the television ratings. They actually outrate about 90% of everything else. Football has become our national pastime and passion. Basketball is still a major sport, but I don't think the the free-flowing player movement to this degree has helped the sport. And again, I'm going to be honest about it. Kareem was traded. Charles Barkley was traded. Moses Malone was traded or was a free agent. It's been happening for years, but at least every team had a certain identity in a core that you could learn to love and be loyal with.
0: Yeah, we certainly don't have it now, and you know, gone are the days of Reggie Miller, and you, you think of, we just don't have that, and and I blame LeBron James for that, and that that, that again, if we if if we went back to the conversation we had yesterday about LeBron's hundred, or breaking Kareem's record or whatever, and people want to make this argument, he's somehow in the same classification of Michael Jordan. He has left the game in a worse place than what he inherited. That is not the legacy of Michael Jordan. That's not the legacy of Magic and Larry Bird. You just can't put him in the same classification as these guys.
1: Jason, speaking of Kevin Durant, I still think pretty much he's in his prime, maybe at the very tail end of it. So let's go back. Um, Charles Barkley at the end was a rocket. Akeem Olajuwon, remember, was a Toronto Raptor. Patrick Ewing was the Seattle Supersonic. So there's always like that time where a great old NBA veteran says, you know what, I want to earn one more paycheck, make the circuit around the league, have some more fun before I have to spend time with the wife and kids. Let me just play this out. But I don't expect a player the caliber of Kevin Durant, who's probably, what, a top 12 to 15 player, in their prime to already be on their fourth team. That just boggles the mind that a guy that good, who's not just playing out the string like Johnny Unitas as a charger is on his fourth club. It it doesn't look right. doesn't feel right. But that is the modern day association. Uh,
0: There was another trade. Really? (laughs) Which blows my mind that no one's talking about the implications of this trade, that, that, Russell Westbrook, or Westbrook, ends up <laughs> with the Utah Jazz. Just keep it, Westbrook has had problems with yeah. Jazz fans. Westbrook is, is you know, likes to play the race card and, you know, is, is a bit of a social justice warrior. How's he going to like it out there in uh, Snowflake City? Or, I mean, I'm sorry, Salt Lake City. How is he going to fit in in Snowflake City, Utah? He's going to play the race card and get pushed out of there, balled out, or maybe they will. I, 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 I just don't see Russell Westbrook and the city of Utah that being a good match.
1: Didn't he have a situation, and I believe it was during the playoffs and maybe his last days at OKC, I forgot what team, didn't he slap the phone out of some fan that was just merely filming him as he was leaving the floor? Yeah, that, that is strange. That right there strikes a very, very sour note to a lot of jazz fans. It will be interesting when he makes his first appearance at that venue, how he will be greeted. You have a declining yet still productive player who has a very prickly personality. Um, I don't think has ever been the most fan-friendly guy. I mean, you saw him shun that little kid that asked for his autograph in front of the hotel lobby a couple weeks ago. Th- this is going to be a very, very interesting social experiment. Uh, and as for Russell Westbrook as a Laker, it's it's actually one of the most forgettable uh, tenures for a good player. I mean, look, let's be fair about this. Russell Westbrook one day will most likely be in the Hall of Fame. He's been very, very accomplished. But as a Laker, I would just say that he represents and symbolizes, I wouldn't say a dark time in the franchise, but wasted years in the LeBron James era.
0: Oh, I think the narrative on Westbrook is bigger than just a dark time in the Lakers era. I I think he's the embodiment Mm. of Mm. how they have perverted the game And the stat padding that's going on with all of these guys in the NBA, everybody's scoring more points, everybody looks. And so he's the king of the stat padding. He's probably – I think I can make an argument that that doesn't say he wasn't a great player. This isn't an argument that he wasn't a great player. But it's an argument he's the most overvalued player in the history of the NBA.
1: Well, Jason, Jason.
0: The guy won an MVP, and and anybody looking in the rearview mirror – has to regret that. He was never the most valuable player in the league. He was a guy that stuffed the stats and and put together triple-double consecutive triple-double seasons because the game had changed that much that was a possibility. Russell Russell Westbrook very good player. I'm not going to complain when he makes the Hall of Fame cuz everybody makes the Hall of Fame in basketball. But but I don't it, I don't think he's one of the top 75 players in the league of all time.
1: You know what's interesting? His nickname should be something I know you used to partake in a lot of. Not anymore, though, Slimlock. I called his game empty calories. That's all it was. Like you said, it was stat padding. And and people conflated consistently going for triple-doubles for being an effective player. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Um, Russell Westbrook is the type of guy that if you appreciated the game, you probably had a low basketball IQ and didn't know what you were really looking at. Yeah, I said it. And it's funny because I thought about this a couple years ago during the Russell Westbrook mania. One of my all-time favorite players, and I think among the all-time most underrated great players, is James Worthy. Okay, I actually think he's underrated because he was a third option during his prime. He could have been a 30-point scorer. Um, if you had been on a lot of other clubs outside of having Magic and Kareem. You know, James Worthy had one triple-double his whole life. God's honest he had one triple-double, and it was Game 7 of the 1988 NBA Finals against the Pistons, one of the five greatest performances I've ever seen. I mean, for him to go through a gauntlet of Rodman, Sally, Edwards, lame beer, and the, the scratch and claw... And I think he had like 36 points, and then the other, he had like 11 assists, 10 rebounds. It's the only time he ever got a triple-double. So, and if anyone ever tells me, well, Steve, who's a better player, James Worthy or Russell Westbrook, to me, it's a rhetorical question.
0: It's a ridiculous question. I don't think there's any doubt. And and I'm I'm not some crazy Russell Westbrook hater. I'm just someone that – because when when Westbrook won the MVP – I wasn't upset. I I don't know if I was a super fan, but I wasn't upset. I look back now, now that I understand how the game has been perverted and how easy it is to pad stats, and and he's going to have to live on his legacy that Kevin Durant ran out of OKC because he didn't want to play with him, and LeBron James was tired of him in L.A. and wanted him dusted there. These guys liked Westbrook personally, but they hated playing with him. How can someone who, who that consistently people had a problem with playing with him ever be the MVP and really yeah. ever be considered uh, one of the all-time great in the top 50, 75 players? Just no way. Guys don't yeah. like playing with him. He doesn't know how to play in a winning fashion, and that matters and and that's why again I call the most overvalued player in the history of the NBA. That does not mean he had no value. It just means we overestimated his value greatly. Uh, Steve, I wanna move on to uh, a topic near and dear to your heart as a you. You can give uh, can you give half the you right now? You wanna give the other half of the you as we talk still, about still, just just still, just just yeah. Yeah, just I'm half here. of the U. Uh, <laughs> have we we've lost the visual? Does that mean anything or no? I'm here. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. We'll just pick back up. So uh, one of your favorite Miami Hurricanes and well, mm. uh, Warren Sapp's probably my favorite Miami Hurricane, but the playmaker Michael Irvin is right there. He's in hot water again, uh. and I mean I'm t- I love Michael Irvin. I, I believe. He's a man well-intentioned with a good heart. Uh, You know, he just lacks some personal discipline. I don't want to, some woman has filed a complaint uh, about an an interaction she had with him uh, at the hotel in Arizona in preparation for the Super Bowl. The NFL Network has sent him home. Uh, The playmaker Initially said he didn't even remember engaging with the woman. They showed him a videotape. You know, these hotels all have cameras. And and he did engage with her for a very short time. He doesn't seem to remember what he said. Uh, he told uh, 105.3 in Dallas. Honestly, I'm a bit baffled with it all. This all happened in a 45-second conversation in the lobby. When I got back after going out, I came into the lobby and I talked to somebody. I talked to this girl. I don't know her. And I talked to her for about 45 seconds. We shook hands. Then I left. That's Hmm. all I know. At some point, he said something about he had he had been out drinking. And that may be why he doesn't remember. Uh, Steve, I'm going to I'm going to go from your playbook and and say this kind of reminds me of a a Jodeci type moment. I don't know if you remember (laughs) the great Jodeci album, (laughs) the show. The after party, the hotel, uh, that's what this reminds me of. And the, on that album, it had one of, you know, this was when I was more in the world, it had one of my favorite songs of all time, Freakin' You. So I'm wondering if uh, that's what Michael Irvin uh, perhaps said uh, to the woman in the hotel, was, you know, all I do is think about Freakin' You. Uh, (laughs) perhaps that's what was said. Anyway, Michael Irvin gets, seems to get in one of these dust-ups every other year or so. And I just think the NFL Network said they had their fill. They sent him home. He survived uh, a lot of these dust-ups. Do we think this could be the end of the playmaker uh, as as a uh, broadcaster at the NFL Network?
1: Well, I, look, we, first of all, he deserves his due process. Now, I don't know if this is really a legal issue, but I would be curious to see that tape of the interaction and really find out what was said. Did they actually shake hands? And, I would again, I don't want to sound insensitive, but is just propositioning somebody, if that's what he did. Is that illegal? Is that worth someone's job? You know, but this is where Michael Irvin's past does haunt his present, going all the way back to the White House. So that's been well chronicled. If you remember, though, Jason... A year or two after that, he was part of an extortion ring where he was with some lady that tried to extort him, made claims of sexual assault, and everyone thought he was going to get arrested. Turns out that that female's husband was a police officer that put a hit on him, an actual hit. And there was that famous scene where Michael was in a sling and he tells the media, when I, my name is cleared, same intensity, same intensity. And guess what? He was actually cleared. Since then, there have been other issues, and I'm sure there's things that we don't know about. The other thing is, and and again, I might get into trouble for this, but this is what happens during the Me Too era now. When a man is accused, he is now convicted. All those other steps are bypassed. And I'm not saying it's unfair. I'm saying that's what it is. And perhaps Michael Irvin was inappropriate, and if he is, he should deal with that. But again... Before we castigate and convict anybody, I'd like to have a little bit more evidence. Now, on just a personal note, Mike Irvin on social media conveys that he's more mature, that he's more of a family man. He's a grandfather now. So I would be disappointed if he's still engaging in this tomfoolery at this age, given the fact he's already put his family through a lot, Okay. But with all that said, that's on him and his family. He doesn't owe me an apology. I, I, Again, these guys are entertainers. Their job is to entertain me. And as soon as I turn off the channel, they are free to do whatever they want. But with that said, um, I think it's a little unfair, I'm just going to say it, that Michael's just summarily dismissed. But, I, again, I would like to hear more about this. Send situation. home
0: send home from the NFL Network, not dismissed. Sent home okay. from the Super Bowl. We'll see how they handle this. But in in the NFL Network's defense, they've stood by Michael Irvin. There was a whole big sexual harassment ring that a lot of people lost jobs over. Mike's one of the guys that survived. Mike's a super talented broadcaster. If you meet Mike and spend any time with him, you know how well-intentioned he is. Again, I'm not making excuses for him, but I just want to provide this context for people that are interested and just want to know when you know Michael. And I've talked to uh, women who have worked with Michael and, and what, what, what they know about Michael. And I'm saying this in the most harmless way possible. Michael has a very affectionate personality. He likes yeah. to hug. He likes... He, and again, not in a way that's inappropriate, but he has an affectionate personality. And, and if you know anything, I'm just going to keep it real. if you know anything about this business, media, TV, whatever, there are a lot of women in the makeup room or just in the industry. They have an affectionate personality and, and, and not in an inappropriate way, but just like to hug like to greet people with a kiss on the cheek. Like, I'm not saying in an inappropriate way, but if you, if, when those worlds collide, when you have a man with a very hyper affectionate personality, I mean, Mike. when Mike greets another man, it's, a, it's the, the bro shake and handshake and pull in, Mike is a people person. I'm not making excuses, I'm not caping up for the guy, because at, at, at his age, He's got to be smart enough to put the bottle down. You, you, when At his age, given this era we live in, it just doesn't make sense to be out drinking to a point where you don't remember engaging with somebody and they have to show you a videotape to remind you. You have to be aware of the target that's on your back. I, it's why I, I almost never drink almost never you know i tend to drink about a dozen times a year and i tend to get a buzz two or mm. three times a year so i may have a drink but because i'm being social and you know but but i'm just not getting liquored up where anybody can ever because i got a target on my back and and so i'm and mike's got to realize he's got a target on his back yeah. and so there's certain things you sacrifice because of that target on your back and because you want to protect your career and you can't afford to be accused of anything and it's it's disappointing that Mike finds himself in this position again I think Mike is one of the best people I've ever met and I say that sincerely and I and I used to I used to call him the pipe maker, I used to ridicule and trash Michael Irvin and then I met him and sat down with him and spent some time and got to know him I was like, this dude just emotes positive energy and loves everybody. He's, a pe- He's like a Charles Barkley with a little less self-control, uh, you know, and and it seems to have bitten him in the rear end again here.
1: Yeah, I just want to know what could have been said in a 45-second or a minute interaction that ends in a handshake. Oh, I can think of a gets- lot of things. Well, I agree, but I th- can think that even itself. Of things. Yeah, okay, okay. But that in itself is a a crime. You can argue if it's inappropriate. It's not a crime.
0: Let let, let me give you an example, and I don't know what was said. I do not know what was said. Haven't talked to anybody. Haven't gossiped with anybody about this. But at the Super Bowl in Arizona, coming into your hotel uh, at night, having had some drinks, you could potentially see an attractive woman in the hotel and think that she's working, and offer her, hey, I got $1,000. You want to meet me up in my room? That doesn't take long to say. And it doesn't take long for a woman that's a non working woman no. to say, that's offensive. What, 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 what are you doing? And yeah.
1: And look, Michael. Take it personally. Michael is addicted to certain things. Uh, if you've ever talked to someone that was in Dallas during that era, in the early to mid 90s, And I know people that were directly involved with the White House. The stuff, I'm just telling you, it's some of the wildest. You thought the Cowboys were exciting on the field? Off the field was the real story, which I think will soon be told in several forms that I know of. And perhaps with Michael, that has never truly left them. But you would hope that people can evolve and grow Look for his sake, without knowing all the details, I hope this does not cost him his career as someone that truly enjoys what he does on air.
0: Look, and and and, not defending Mike. I'm just putting all the facts out there. I've lived a very long life. I've been in these settings. I I I, I just, the, I hate to I, I I gotta say it. It's just facts say are it. true. I'm not say trying to disparage the say woman. It. I'm just saying, but she could be a predator. In terms of there are women smart enough to know, oh, it's Super Bowl week, bunch of wealthy guys with money. They come out here and get liquored up. Uh, They're looking for a little action. If I can bait one of them into making a mistake. Yeah. Complain. And now all of a sudden, in order to clean it up, there are people like, oh, I got a job. Let's say at the NFL Network. Let's say they pay Mike $2 million a year. And let's say he does the math and says well, $100,000. This goes away, uh, and and she's happy and says, "Nope, nope. It was just a misunderstanding, and I get to keep my job." Yeah. She's you know she's a 45 second interaction has made her 100K in hush money. Yeah. Not saying that's what's happened. I'm just putting all the possible scenarios out there. You know what Michael needs to do or a lot of other people in his position.
1: Hire like your version of the Secret Service. Night on the town. you get back to the hotel, you have the guys flanking you, one to the left, one to the right, one to the back center, and just they walk with you in a pyramid formation all the way till you get to the room. That's it. <laughs> pay for your security. It'll pay for itself in a couple of months. Because, look, in the era of social media, where anyone can whip out their phone and use it as a camera, it is now weaponized. It is... Not, and, and I... This is where Michael has to be more self-aware. And maybe he let his guard down after that fun night. You are always being surveilled. You may not know it, but that is the reality. There are always eyes on you.
0: Let me say that I, I will end here with, because part of the thing I like about Mike is Mike has a sincere belief in God. He, 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 he's a flawed Christian, but yeah. Mike is a Christian. And so I, I just, Mike, as a Christian, you're gonna have to get in a different mindset. Mm. You're just gonna have to, it's, again, I've had to change my entire mindset to survive in this world, and it, it, just a better person. And so just getting liquored up and having conversations with whoever's in the hotel lobby, it's just not an option. I, I'm sober, And get into Ubers and don't talk to people because Mm. I've just seen anything Mm. I say again, we live in a world. It's unfortunate. It's sad. But anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of public opinion. Every it's it's Mm -hmm. Miranda rights. Yeah. And and you have to understand and accept that. And then as a believer, Mike, you just got to leave these vices alone. Just mm. getting liquored up. Just, it's just off the table. Have a drink at home with your family and friends. Uh, but going out in public and getting liquored up, not good. No. This is how you end up in the news cycle and sent home from the Super Bowl. And you mm. should just know that at our age. Mike's around the same age as me. Love you, bro. The best I can do as a defense is just keeping it real with all the possibilities. Not that anyone asked me to defend you. We're just having a conversation. I haven't heard from Mike. No one asked me to defend him. Just keeping it real. Thank you, Steve. Mm -hmm. Great job as always. Uh, Make sure you get your tickets now for the roll call event at Rocket Town in Nashville on Saturday, April 15th. This year I keep getting emails from you guys asking additional questions. The best advice I can give you is get your tickets right now. We're going to elevate the price of the tickets in March. And so it's best that you get your tickets here in the month of February. We got some special offers for people that want some special access to the studio, to me, to some of our contributors. We're going to have a cookout, a live show here at the studio that we're going to reserve for about 30 of you. We're going to have a breakfast on set. That's on Friday. And then on Saturday, we're going to have a breakfast here that we're going to reserve for about 30 of you to engage, see the studio, get some pictures, get a gift bag, get you some fearless swag, get you some dog tags, the roll call dog tags and all that. Go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. It's going to be a terrific event. I just heard this morning, <laughs> and and I just heard this morning, I, I don't know if I should, but a dude in South Korea wrote me a long email. I'm not going to call his name or whatever, but wrote me a long email, and I, I don't know what to, you know, people are, obviously people know that I'm a soft touch or something, but he wants to come in from South Korea, says he needs it, says his family needs him to be here, and and but he wants some help because of the expense and coming here from South Korea. But I love the emails, I love to hear from you guys. I love to hear the enthusiasm guys are having for this event. People are coming from all over the country and trying to get here from South Korea. Uh, go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. We want to see you. We want you to be here. It's going to be a great, fun event, and we're going to inspire each other. Uh, Shamika Michelle, next. I just want, I want
2: a beat, I just I want a beat, I just want. I want a beat I just, want, I be. I
3: just The standoff at the border is heating up between Texas
4: Governor Greg Abbott and the federal government.
0: Atheist, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You 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 can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect. You know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on His truth and to speak that loudly into the culture and we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC,
4: the NIH, they got the president, is transgender surgery for children. Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're going to stop fighting today and you're going to let the government raise your kids? and you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl. And you're gonna let them make the Bible, hate speech. You're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's
0: a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms. And there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder and every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know, you you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here.
5: Sometimes just standing up, just saying, no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough in prepping his disciples. He tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're going to face some ups and downs in life, and we're not going to always get it together. But if we stay on the path, If we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after His way, He's even praying for us. Now, I I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men, once He's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out.
0: You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put out our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's roll out to North Carolina, bring in Shamika Michelle. Let's talk some culture. And you know what? Let's talk some good news. I saw something uh, on on social media, on YouTube, that uh, kind of made me feel good that, you know, I'm catching a lot of flack for my baby mama comments as it relates to Tyree Nichols and, and Memphis. And people are saying... Wrong time. And I'm like, nah, it was the right time. It's always the right time for truth. And so there's a popular podcast called Pink Book Lessons, I think. Uh, It's a group of ladies that have a conversation and they were talking about Ciara, 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 whatever her name is, tomato, tomato clapping back, Russell Wilson's uh, wife, clapping back at me, future's baby mama, uh, clapping back at me and criticizing me for bringing up baby mama culture. And then I see the, these ladies uh, defending me and, and, and talking about the harmful impact of baby mama culture. And so I want to talk to Shamika about it, but we'll first, let, let's, let's play this clip where uh, me and C R are addressed.
6: Here's my warning to young women. Do not trust women who promote and or defend baby mama culture. They are not helping you. They only want to initiate you into their club. And the club is so strong, you have women like Sierra, who was baby mama number four to a man who continued to have more kids, talking about how she said a prayer for her husband, but she's still more in alliance with baby mamas versus wives. That right there shows you her mindset she responded to Jason Whitlock defending baby mama culture. This is proof that even when some of them find a simple fool, they still have that baby mama DNA. This is somebody's wife defending baby mama culture. She's not holding herself accountable. She's not talking about how she redeemed herself. That's because she really didn't do anything to redeem herself. She only got involved with a man with less experience, little to no experience really. And I can't say that she took advantage of him because he's a grown man, that's his decision. But trust me, she is gonna definitely make him pay for that one day. You got her BFF Lala out here talking about her miserable married friends. Who is she talking about exactly?
0: found it very interesting and and inspiring because I know there are women and men that want to have this conversation. They know how necessary this conversation is. And social media and corporate media are all rigged to make you believe, oh, this is beyond the pale. How could Jason Whitlock say that? How could he? And, And then all of a sudden, if you tap into the real world, this is the exact conversation women, men, black people are having. No one thought it was inappropriate. Everyone thought like, yeah, this is the perfect time to talk about it. It's always the perfect time to talk about doing the right thing. So I, I, I love the comments. I, I, I you know, to, to know there are more women out there like Shamika. Michelle uh, is inspiring and hopeful. And so, Shamika, what did you think of uh, what you saw from the Pink Book Lessons podcast?
2: Jason, I enjoyed it. I haven't been able to find a video where she was actually on camera. A lot of the times it seems like she's just kind of narrating the video and telling her opinion. But I I loved it because she described herself as a millennial. So it just made me realize that there are young women out here that can see we were taught the wrong way to go. And I really appreciate it. uh, I'm sorry, appreciated it. I've always hated people calling Russell Wilson a simp, but listen, for Sierra to come out and actually defend baby mama culture, it does make you question whether or not she has actually changed her mindset or if she just found someone who would put up with her, her wicked ways. Because yes, if you're the fourth baby mama, you knew exactly what you were getting into. You thought it was okay you thought it was cute and yet you decided to have a baby with this guy anyway who went on to have more kids i saw people defending her saying oh she was the fiance listen if you aren't married to me you're just like a girlfriend if there is no ring, if you haven't stood before God and made vows, the fiance thing means nothing to me. So the fact that she actually did come at you to defend this, maybe people say, calling Russell a simp may be onto something because it doesn't seem like her mindset has changed. And I don't understand why women can't realize that yes, you can see that women have raised kids on their own, men as well, phenomenal kids, but see that it is also a problem in our culture and it's not something that we should be celebrating, applauding or pushing. So I I love the video. I applaud Pink Book Lessons, whoever she is. She gets two thumbs up from me.
0: So I wanna ask you this. Because my thoughts about Russ, uh, Sierra going from future to Russell Wilson, that that seems like such a, a wide dynamic. You know, tatted-up rapper uh, versus nerdy NFL quarterback Russell Wilson. D- does that, because I think that's part of what, she doesn't state it, but that's kind of what she's getting at is like, oh, she went from wanting a bad boy and getting knocked up by a bad boy to she panicked and then went and got a simp who will put up with anything. What, what do you think of, or, or it, do you think it's commonplace for women to n- maybe not have a type or ha- be into that wide of a variety that, oh, it could be the, the tatted up weed smoking rapper or it can be the nerdiest black quarterback I don't know since who, who, since Urkel. Uh, Is is that weird or interesting?
2: I don't necessarily think it's weird, especially as women mature. I actually don't think women... Uh, intentionally go after bad boys. I think that women like men, like Jordan Peterson says, who has the potential to be violent. And sometimes we erroneously choose bad boys because we think those are the ones that are going to be the protectors. And it seems as if Russell Wilson has some of this protector, provider, you know. So I, I didn't think that it was a stretch, really, especially if she matured and realized this type of thing that I'm looking for doesn't have to come from this type of person. But it did shock me. And of course, I brought that up when I tweeted her back when she came after you kind of promoting baby mama culture, I was really shocked because I thought even you saw the value in having a father in your child's life. And so it just, I was a little taken aback that she even responded that way. And so it does make me question if she has actually matured and and or did she just get someone who would take care of her and her, her son?
0: So you said something very interesting that I I wasn't planning on talking about, but you put it on the table. It's interesting. You don't think women choose the bad boys intentionally. You think it's an accident.
2: Yeah, I don't think that they really necessarily say, hey, I want this bad boy or they don't realize that what they're actually looking for is someone who has the potential to be violent. And when I say that, it's just, you know, we want somebody that if necessary, they will protect us. If necessary, they have the ability to not sit there and let somebody walk all over us. And so I do think because women don't have the the guidance from older women, they go out here and they choose this bad boy because, naturally in their uh, nature. You want somebody that's going to protect you. So I don't think they just say, hey, let me go get this bad boy because this is the move. I think they have so many examples that this is not the move, but we definitely want somebody who's going to protect us and who has the ability to be violent. You know, if necessary, Jordan Peterson talked about that. And I love the way that he actually explained that a man should be capable of being violent. If you don't even have the ability to be violent, if that's not in you, we don't even really see the, um, you know, the restraint that you have to show in order to not act a certain way. If it's not in you, it's just not in you. But I think women definitely want a man who has the ability to be violent if necessary. And so, because there's no guidance from older women, they go out here and erroneously choose bad boys. But I think it's in our nature to want a man to protect us.
0: I got it. That's an interesting thing, and I would love to. I'm gonna have to hunt this up with how Jordan Peterson unpacks that, and because and, and, it's I'm sitting here thinking of specific incidents where I've been I've been turned off by women that are like hunting trouble, and what and I felt like sometimes oh you trying to put me in a spot where I have to. I'm, I'm just gonna give you one example This just comes off the top of my head because I, I'm just somebody that's like I'm not looking for drama. There was a time when I was younger and I just did some stupid things and, and you know, violent for no reason. Never want to do that ever again. I just don't have time. I got too much to protect. I got too much going on and so I'm always looking to defuse or just like some idiot. I'm not. And so I'm sitting here thinking about a time I got pulled over once in in Kansas City. Policeman really didn't have a reason to pull me over, but I'm handling it. I'm talking to him. I'm in Kansas City. The woman reaches over to me and hops over into the basically puts her head in the driver's seat and starts yelling at the cop. And and why are you pulling us over? Blah, 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 blah. And and I look <laughs> like, oh, what are you doing? He should have pulled us over. You ain't got no reason to pull us over. And I'm like, hey, I got this. What what are you doing? This is crazy. And 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 I've really and I could go on in more detail about how you know I really had to get loud and be like. I'm not looking for no drama, for no cop over some BS. I got license, I got license, insurance, this is my car. This man can't do nothing to me unless I spark something. It's like, you trying to spark something. And 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 I just never understood it. It's like, mm, this unnecessary drama. And I've seen women, I've seen many men get in fights over some stuff, their woman actually kicked off. I, right. I wish I could call up, uh, there, I saw, uh, it was last year at some point, or maybe two years ago, there was a big brawl at a football game or whatever. And it started because a woman came from out of nowhere. There's a whole crowd, men fussing with each other, and a woman reached over top of everybody and slapped some dude. And then her boyfriend just got smoked. And and, and I was just, when I look, I go, that's what I want to avoid. I don't want to be nowhere around that.
2: Yeah, no, I'm not talking about those type of women, Jason. Those are the mouthy women that get their men beat up because they don't know how to shut up. And they're just, those are drama-filled women. I'm not talking about that. But I'm just saying a woman that, you know, let's just say you are out, You know, y'all are out taking a walk, I don't know, at the movies and someone attacks you. Do you have the capacity to defend yourself or are you going to sit there? Oh, oh, my God. No. You know, that's what I'm talking about. Women want a man that has the ability to be violent if necessary. I don't mean these women that are out here just running their mouth and starting trouble and don't know when to say when.
0: Got it. Got it, but uh, it—that's the same energy. It's that's an immature woman that wants to see proof of what you're talking about, and so she she sparked those mouthy women. It's coming from the same place. I understand the distinction, but it's coming from the same place. I I think women want to put their men sometimes in a place where he has to show the ability, yeah, he's willing to defend me. And, and she will create that situation just to test him. And I don't want to be tested. I want you to take my word that as a man, if something jumps off, I'm going to either handle it or I'm going to take the butt whooping. I'm going, you're going to be fine. But, but I don't. I think sometimes immature women try to put you in, they want to see proof. And so they they'll do. spark something and that's what they I don't do. want any parts of.
2: There are also those men, Jason, that when they're in situations that had nothing to do with their woman, they will not defend themselves and they will li- allow another man to walk all over them. Though There are men out there like that and those are the type of men women don't want because if you will let a man walk all over you you will certainly let somebody walk all over your woman so i'm not talking about the ones that want to you know put you in uh, situations to be hurt or harmed or to prove yourself and i'm not talking about her but i think that we have the ability to see which men have that um, capability and which ones don't and unfortunately there are men who aren't capable of, of being violent, even if their life was on the line. Th-
0: this is a fascinating conversation. I'm gonna stick with it a little bit longer because I, I, <laughs> this is fascinating to me. So, and I'm just using myself as an example. It, 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 it's, it's, I do a job where I know that I'm annoying powerful people, idiots, violent idiots, it, 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 it's, it's, and I, don't, I, I used to go into locker rooms with football and basketball players knowing everybody, half the people in there were mad with me and, and wanted to do something to me. And I'd go into the locker room and deal with them and blah, blah, and let the chips fall where they may. But I never, at any point in my life, let an idiot at a bar that, that somebody comes up and wants to talk crazy to me, and I, I go, he got nothing to lose. I got a lot to lose. Why am I gonna get down and, and wrestle with some idiot at a bar that's drunk or whatever? I'm just gonna walk away. It's, it's just not, so it's not some fear, or, or it's, it's a fear motivated by, he got nothing to lose. I got everything to lose. This isn't worth it. You're not worth it. I don't care about your behavior. I'm, I don't have to meet your energy. And so, the, what I'm talking about is stuff that has nothing to do with a woman. I could be out to dinner and, you know, as a public figure, and particularly as a columnist and an outspoken person that's polarizing. People like to pick at me. And I have no problem ignoring them. And, 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 they can say all that they want or whatever, but, you know, I hate to say it, but I would kind of take on that LeBron James mentality when, when he told uh, people after he lost in the NBA Finals, man, and I'm going to get up off this podium and I'm going to have my great life and you're going to go back to your miserable life. Good luck. That is, <laughs> that is kind of, it's an arrogance, but it's, it's just a fact that that is how I feel. And, and so I'm wondering, what's your read on that? Because again, it's, I'm not driven by some physical, I've lost fights, it's no big deal, the bruises heal up. Now at 55, I don't plan on losing any more fights. I'm just too old. Uh, but, but I just don't have a fear. I come on this show and say all kinds of things that piss people off, who are dangerous. Uh, but, but just someone talking crazy to me, I I really couldn't care less.
2: Yeah, I I agree with that, Jason. I always say that I think only ugly women fight. You know, there have been times where I've been (laughs) out and women are just, you know, they have too much to drink or they're jealous and they just want to be loud and obnoxious. I'm not going to get into that. But I will tell you there have been times when someone has threatened my kids I'm willing to throw them things for my children if I have to. And there was a time when a young man took my daughter to a secluded park, pulled her out the car and threatened to kill her. Her dad stepped in and he was ready to protect her and be a dad. So I think there are sometimes times in life when you actually have to choose violence or be capable of choosing it, you know? And so again, I don't think, I think, I don't think this should be your way of life or living all the time, just ready to, you know, throw down at the drop of a hat. Not that, but you do need to be capable at times in life of protecting you or the people that you love. And there are some men that just don't have it.
0: I agree with you. I'm going to tell one more story, because you just made, reminded me of something, telling the story about your ex-husband and, and your daughter, and and I certainly agree with that in terms of, like, there there are things I'm willing to die for and over, uh, and and so I get that. But you just reminded me of a story. When I was a little kid, and people probably can look this up, uh, and I, I don't think... I don't think we've ever, and this happened years ago, 30 years ago, or no, not 30, because I'm 55. This must have happened 45 years ago, <laughs> uh, that there was a hostage situation. I lived at a place called Nottingham Village in Indianapolis, and we had a, there was these apartments we had, they had a clubhouse where they had a pinball machine and stuff like that that me and my brother used to play at. and so. Uh, and it it had an indoor swimming pool. And and so me and my brother are over at the clubhouse, and some man uh, was talking, he was drinking, and talked crazy and threatened me and my brother. I'm probably 11, my brother's probably 14, or 10 and 13, something like that. And it, it just felt scary and dangerous. He was drunk, threatened us, we go home. And uh, it's probably around 6 p.m. My mother's not there. We call my father, who's at his bar, Jimmy's J Bar J. It's probably 20-minute drive from where we live, and and tell my father that hey, this this guy. And again, I'm just telling you, the race means nothing. But I'm just telling you, repeating the story how it actually happened. I was like, Daddy, the, the this white guy threatened to beat me and Jim up. And how old was he? I don't know, we think he's 30 years old or so, blah, blah, blah. My father left his nightclub, carried his 38 pistol, goes over (laughs) into the clubhouse, tells tells this man, you ever put your hands on either one of my kids again, I'm gonna pull the trigger on this 38 pistol. My father comes over, checks on me and my brother, and leaves. The, the, the point of this story is, and I don't think anyone has ever heard this story, that white man went home, got his guns, came back to the clubhouse, and held people hostage at the clubhouse for close to 24 hours. It's all <clears throat> in the news, reporters, everything. It was never revealed that he had put his hands on me and my brother and threatened us and then my father had come over, put his 38 on this dude and told him he was going, no one ever knew that, please don't do that. And that's why the man went home and then came back and then another group of people we didn't know nothing about got held hostage over in the clubhouse for about 24 hours. That's a great story from 45 years ago, you just reminded me of, so. Uh,
2: Yeah, and I was just The choice of choosing
0: violence can spark (laughs) unintended consequences, I guess, would be the point of that story.
2: Yeah, it can. And sometimes, you know, that's what it takes in order to, um, you know, show someone don't do that again. I'm just thinking about my own situation with my daughter. You know, that's a, a risk you have to be willing to take sometimes. And what I will say in reference to young women that go out here, I know at 40 I have a friend who I've never seen be in an argument, a fight, anything, but I feel completely safe with him because I feel like he, if necessary, he would protect me. At 20, you think that's gonna come from this ghetto, loud, gang-banging dude. You think that's where it comes from. So that's what I'm saying. When I see a lot of young women go after that, we want to be protected but they go they don't have the guidance to say that's not what you're looking for that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to keep you safe in fact he may get you into more foolishness because he's a hothead and he doesn't have conflict resolution skills i've learned that you know at 40 something it can look totally different but there's still that feeling of safety that a woman desires
0: I can't believe you're 40 something, but we'll talk about that uh, le- next week. Uh, you look awesome, I love your hair. Thank you, Shabika. gotta go, yeah, gotta go. I gotta get to my whole explanation on or my rebuttal to uh, Patrick Fraud David, or Patrick Bet David, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> here in a second, you can email me and us at fearlessblaze show at gmail.com. I'm going to respond to Patrick Fraud David next. All right. Welcome back. I'm going to take uh, I'm not even going to call it my last crack. I'm just going to take another crack at fully explaining why Patrick Bet David is a liar. He issued a 12-minute response uh, to what I explained happened to me on Monday and why I was upset about it. Patrick McDavid taped a show, I believe, on uh, Wednesday with his explanation, and his recollection of what happened. He's very clever. He's a great used car salesman, probably a great used insurance salesman. I'm sure he's, he's a good businessman because he's very slick and he's very clever. He's very good at telling small lies that most people can't recognize. And, and look, I, if Patrick McDavid yesterday in his rebuttal had just come out and said, hey, look, you know what? Whitlock's right. Uh, we didn't handle that in an honest and in, in, in high integrity way. Regret it. Going to move on. I'd have no problem. He didn't do that. He he put together an 11 minute response filled with small little lies. And so I'm going to walk you through them. And it's not because uh, I want to be petty or that I want some beef. I I really just want to put a stop to it and warn other people and 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 perhaps wake him up uh, to a better way of engaging with people and treating people with respect and honesty. So we're going to play his 11 minute explanation. I'm going to stop it from time to time and correct these tiny lies that all add up to one big lie. But we're going to hear out Patrick Bet-David on this show, and then I'm going to correct the things that he says are inaccurate. Let's start at the very beginning, and I'll shout out when to stop. I think we'll stop about 2 minutes and forty, two minutes and 50 seconds into this first part of the soundbite. Let's play.
7: Let me comment on something that happened this week. So on Monday – uh, we, we had, uh, uh, who was it? We had Roland Martin in the house. We did a podcast phenomenon, had a really good time with them debate. All of it was great, but certain things happened yesterday. A Jason Whitlock reacted to a video that he made talking about, uh, uh what we do at Valuetainment, calling me names, a lot of different things. And he said the fact that he was invited on Monday, it was a set up to him because we were trying to get him, et cetera, et cetera. Let me kind of read you a story, tell you the story of what happened here with Jason Whitlock. So the first time, Rob, we invited Jason Whitlock was when?
3: Uh, I believe the first time, August of 2022.
7: And you have the email of this. If he can zoom in so we can show the first email that went in.
3: And we blanked out his email address. We just didn't want it. So this is the
7: first email that goes, and it says, hey, we would like to have you on to discuss your story, et cetera, et cetera. Patrick's admiration for Jason Whitlock. I've liked this content for a long time. I think he does a good job, whether it's sports. He's got a show called Fearless with Jason Whitlock. So perfect. You send him a message. Uh, nothing happens. You send him another message. I think December of 14th, you sent him another email to have him on the podcast.
3: Correct. That's when we confirmed that he was interested in coming in. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, we decided we would figure out a good date.
7: And this is the email that he showed in the video yesterday saying the fact that they didn't tell me anything. Now, I'm going to show you these emails so everybody knows because he showed the emails himself as well. Uh, thanks for getting back to me. The interview would cover Jason's career at ESPN, The Blaze, his show Fearless, da-da-da-da-da. Great. This is the email he showed yesterday, which the date on this is December 14th, right? Then after this, we schedule a time for him to be on the podcast on February 16th. Correct. Then you get back to him because February 16th, I'm either speaking in Vegas or Orlando next week. I have travel. So we asked to see if we can do it on another date simultaneously when we're going back and forth the tyreen nichols uh, uh tragic event takes place so i say i'd love to have somebody come in to have a show and preferably let's have a panel to be a debate from both sides of the house somebody that says hey even though the five cops were black you know it's still a, a systemic racism somebody that says no it's not so we can have good banter there you reach out to a list of names, one of them being Roland Martin. Roland Martin confirms with you when? February, uh, I believe, 6th.
3: Yeah, he said he was going to be in town February 6th.
7: Which is this Monday, this past Monday. Okay, so you do that. Then you go back to Jason Whitlock and you ask him if he can do it on February 6th as well.
3: Well, we've initially offered him a few dates to see if he could come at a different time because you were not going to be here for the 16th. He didn't respond back, so then I sent a follow-up email and said, hey, we have limited dates because the other dates were booked with other guests. Could you do this date, which happened to be Monday, February 6th? And from there, he agreed. And I sent the next email if you want me to show it.
7: So, before you show the other sure. email, this is the criticism that he gave to us that I want to, you know, kind of p- explain to the audience what happened. So, both show up here on the podcast. We have Roland, who's running late uh, a few minutes. So our driver that was driving up, Rob, if you want to talk about the driver that was driving,
0: uh, uh, Jason, you tell him, hey, since all right, our, other guests... here, because is- I, I wasn't paying attention to the clock. Or, or, and so, Justin, if you could take... Are we about two minutes and 50 in, or are we around the three-minute mark? Because there's a couple things I, I, I want to explain. If someone can te- 315. We're 3.15 in, all right? So I rolled past the 2.50 mark. So... Let, let me then say, let's go to 3.37 and stop. So let's go 20 more seconds. Going to be okay, bring him in here.
7: Yeah, there was no rush. Oh,
3: you're off. Can't hear your audio. There was
6: no,
7: how about now? There, yeah. you
3: go. there was no rush to be here at 9 o'clock on the dot because our other guest was running late. So we're not going to be able to start at 9. So take your time
0: getting here.
7: Right. So then he gets here. So Jason's downstairs. Roland is upstairs. Stop. I walk
0: up to talk. Yeah. There we go. the the whole deal so first off he says that they emailed in August and that there was no response I never saw the email in August the email did reach people at the blaze and David Reed one of our producers in August responded to their emails with some questions going back and forth But again, he he was very clever. What he basically said was nothing came of it. He he leaves you with the impression that uh, uh, we didn't respond, or Jason ignored it. That's the impression he creates. We did respond. I never heard about it, uh, for whatever reason. Or maybe I did, I don't know, but we couldn't do it in August. But in their original email in August, it's very similar to the email they sent me in December, where they say we want to interview you, and I believe in their original email in August they referenced Jordan Peterson, Dave Rubin, and Ben Shapiro. Again, I didn't see this; I've only been told about it, but but it's consistent. What they're saying there in August is consistent with what they said to me in December when I asked for follow up and asked for what type of interview it would be. Uh, So I I just want to do that. That's one of the little half little tiny lies, manipulations, like somehow I didn't respond or ignored them in August. David Reed, our producer, responded, had some engagement with them. It didn't go anywhere. That's what he said. It, it, it's somewhat accurate, but again, it's just a little halfway true. It's the kind of thing a used car salesman always does. Then they email in December, as as he said, and and I'm going to read this one uh, verbatim. I think I read it yesterday uh, <clears throat> on on yesterday's show, but I'm I'm just going to do it again just so the record is 1,000 percent clear. And and I apologize to those of you that feel like I'm making way too much of this. I'm not, uh, because I don't. People shouldn't be treated this way, and I'm just and so I'm trying to stop this from happening to other people. Uh, he emails on December thirteenth, and then that email I respond back. What does he want to talk about? When does he want to do it? They email. Thanks for getting back to me. The interview would cover Jason's career with ESPN and The Blaze, his show Fearless with Jason Whitlock, as well as current events, trending topics, and stories in the news. A full list of topics will be provided to Jason prior to the interview for his review. That's on December 14th. It's been established what it is they want me to come in for. Because I I just want to be clear, And, and they know this, and this is the manipulation of truth that's going on. I'm not going to leave Nashville and leave my show to go debate a clown like Roland Martin. It's not going to happen. I don't know if there's anybody I would leave Nashville and this show and ignore my responsibilities on this show to go have a debate with somebody almost about anything. If I want to have a, we could do that over Skype. So their offer, hey, we're gonna do an interview. And so the reason why it's justified in my mind to take a day off is like this is what people do to go market their shows. They go engage with other audiences and explain their show, explain their career, and try to entice people to listen to their show. It's part of the whole marketing process that's what they know. He's not an idiot. He's been at this a long time. He's interviewed other people. He knows that's what they're offering and that that's what I have agreed to. Going to debate Roland Martin. And he said it himself after debating Roland Martin on his show. He said it himself, Roland you haven't answered a question in an hour and a half. We played that clip yesterday. You can go see it. Him saying, you haven't answered a single question in 90 minutes. I don't want to be involved with that. I've already had Roland Martin to my home in Los Angeles. And I explained this to this dude in Florida. I've, I've already done this. I've already played Ring Around the Rosie with, with Roland in my home for two and a half hours. You can go see it on YouTube. There's nothing there. The guy's not interested in sincere debate or argument. You've now asked someone to give up 36 hours, walk away from their responsibilities to on false pretenses, to come down to Florida to debate a clown and to have some train wreck show that will not be An example of what we do on this show. You guys have been watching this show for nearly two years. Do we have train wreck interviews and debates? Is is this first take or undisputed with Skip and Shannon yelling at each other? Is that what we do here? So if I go on Patrick's show and do that, it's not going to entice people like, oh, that's what I'm going to be getting from Jason Whitlock? Clown spit? Him arguing and wrestling with some dishonest, paid Democrat operative who acts like a woman? That's not, that's not I don't want to be involved in that. I'm certainly not flying uh, three hours on a plane to be involved with that and to abandon my responsibilities here. He knows all this, but they're telling little lies. and then he and then the last little lie he told in that clip was that Roland was running late and 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 therefore and, and I can, now because I've talked so much, I can't remember the last thing the guy says, but at some point, the Robert guy, pretends like, yeah, we told the driver uh, that Jason didn't need to be here at nine o'clock because Roland was running late. That's a lie. I talked to the driver. The driver told me exactly what they said. And when I, cause I got in the car at 8.30 and when we were driving over, I heard the Robert or some producer called the driver cause he was on speakerphone and he said, uh, and the driver goes, yeah, I got Whitlock in the car and the, and the uh, guy says, hey, uh, bring him around the back because, you know, uh, you know, we just need to come in, we just need him to come in from the back entrance. This is a driver they use all the time. The guy told me. He's very familiar with them. He drives for them a lot, for all of their guests. If it was customary for him to drop people off at the back, they wouldn't have had to instruct him to do that. So why are they dropping me off at the back? Because they're trying to conceal and hide something. These are very clever used car salesmen. Very clever. Let's continue, uh, oh my dang computer just went dead. Let me see if I got it here on my cell phone. I gotta get a new laptop because this one don't hold a charge anymore. Ah, stop it, don't, don't text me right now. huh yeah i know but i want to know i need a little guide for myself don't don't, just keep this is real so anyway i think we want to go to like 354 we just want to go another 30 seconds or 20 seconds or so play the clip
7: talk to jason to say hey jason uh excited to have you here jason says hey beautiful building i couldn't you know you guys got a big operation here i said thank you i said the panel that we're gonna do the podcast with is roland martin How do you feel about roland martin his
0: entire physiology (laughs) completely changed so that's not what he said it's a tiny lie it's a tiny lie but that's not what happened came that he came down to the green room we had small talk about hey this is impressive i didn't know he's accurate there he did not say hey the panel we're going to do, Roland Martin's gonna be on. What he said was, Jason, what do you think of Roland Martin? It's a tiny difference. But he's pretending like, hey, I knew that, uh, we were honest, Jason knew he was coming down for a panel, and so one of the first things I said to him was, the panel we're going to do is X, Y, and Z. That's not what he said. He said, hey, uh, what do you think of Roland Martin? And I said, as I told you on the show yesterday, I, or two days ago, I said, he's a stalker and a troll. I, 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 I don't like him. I, I, I don't find him to be a serious person. That's what I said. And it's the first thing that, I'm, I'm sitting there, the reason why I had a look on my face is because I'm like, why is this dude asking me about Roland Martin? That's, again, I'm there under the pretense, I'm about to be interviewed about me and my career. I'm going to use it to market my show. No different than why Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin, and Jordan Peterson, what they did on the show. I don't think they debated Roland Martin, but I don't know. I haven't watched. Maybe they did. But the look on my face was inquisitive because I'm like, why is this dude asking me about Roland Martin? All right, let's play another two minutes and 20 seconds. I Stop saw him be very 6/20.
7: uncomfortable and I didn't like that. Now, to be fair, the email that Jason didn't show his audience when he criticized us is the email he got Friday, three days before the day of the podcast, which I don't think Jason read. So let's show the email on uh, on Friday that you sent in and zoom in a little bit on this email. This email was sent to both him and it was sent to Roland Martin. Can you show the date? February 3rd. Okay. Okay. Here's the interview, et cetera, et cetera. Monday, February 6th, we'll be at the address, et cetera, et cetera. And then topics. Look at the topics. Zoom in a little bit. Panel discussion on police reform, the 2024 presidential election, the U.S. economy, and a mix of current events and trending topics. Keyword there is what? Panel Panel. discussion on police reform. That's what this show is about. This was on Friday. He could have said... Who is the panel? Did he ever ask you who's part of the panel? No, he did not. Not no. once did you get a question from who's part of the panel? No, I did not. Did Roland ask you a question who's part of the panel? He did not as well. So neither one of them asked you who's part of the panel? No. No problem. So here's the thing Dan Bongino invites me on the show to be on Fox. No problem. I go on the show to be on Fox. They say, hey, Patrick, uh, uh, we want Patrick to be on Fox to debate Bitcoin. First thing I tell Karina and Sam, I'm like, I'm not a Bitcoin guy. He says, well, Dan wants you to go out there and debate. You know, I said, who's a debate? We don't know yet. Perfect. I go on it. All of a sudden I get an email. The person you're debating, because we ask who is the person I'm debating, it's going to be Peter Schiff. We did the show. It got very good views, a lot of good feedback. It was great TV. Everybody loved it. There was strong banter. Dan Bongino won because he got eyeballs because our audience showed up. We won because we were able to get Dan Bongino's eyeballs of his audience, and they saw us. So both, it's a win-win. This is kind of what you call media. But... Uh, Jason goes on and he says, they didn't tell me what it was about. They didn't tell me it was going to be showed. This was all a setup. So again, up until this point, this is what's not been shown to everybody in his audience. I go to Jason. Jason says, there's no way I'm going to sit with this guy. He says a couple different words. He says, he's stalking me on Twitter all the time, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, okay, no problem. I don't want to make this guy feel bad because I like him a lot. I like his content. I think Jason's very necessary. I said, Jason, how about we do this? Let's just do podcast you and I, and then I'll do Roland's in an hour, but let's do podcast you and I. He says, no problem. Sits in there. I come in here. I tell you.
0: So I want to go back to his email that they sent on February the 6th. And look how uh, look how we put it right here in the email. Look at the topics, blah, blah, blah. The email exchange started on February the 3rd, uh, where he they circled back on January 1st. They circled back on January 31st asking about Monday, February the 6th. January 31st, touching base see if it's possible to reschedule next month's interview on the PBD Bot Podcast. Do you have any flexibility to move this to Monday, February 6th? Again, he, he has lied and said, hey, this all came about because we want to do a panel discussion on Tyree Nichols. And he clearly did. That's not what they're telling me. The guy's circling back on January 31st, touching base, to see if it's possible to reschedule next month's interview on the PBD podcast. On February the third, three days later, I say first class flight, Nashville to Miami, Sunday night, back to Nashville Monday evening. Let me know if you can arrange. Thanks. Jason Whitlock. Send the guy my birth date of birth. And I send that at 929 AM on February the third, six minutes later on February the third on it. Now I'll be back to you shortly with flight and hotel details. Nothing transpired. That's on February the third. The next email is February. Oops. Oh, nope. I send one on the third saying Sunday midday also works for me. Thanks. Here's, and then on February 3rd, here's the interview confirmation for Monday. We're confirmed for a podcast appearance on Patrick Back David. And then there's this email with uh, uh, the information about my flight, about the hotel, rec- record local cars and questions. I'm not reading this looking for topics because I've already been told and we already agree, it's an interview and they have told me what it's about. I scanned the email like most adult people that get a lot of emails do. I scan it looking for the pertinent information that I do not know. I don't know what time the flight is. I don't know what hotel I'm staying at. I don't know if there's a car service picking me up. That's the information I was looking for. It never even crossed my mind to think about point of contact topic because again, I'm emailing with the guy that I think is my point of contact. I wasn't thinking about, so I didn't look at any of those things. I looked for flight information, hotel information, and that's ground transportation. And the questions that they asked, plugs to mention, blah, 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 that's what I saw. So it never crossed my mind to ask about a panel discussion. Anybody with a brain can understand What was going on with me and what was going through my head? Let's move to the whatever. Justin, I sent you a text about where the next place is that I wanted to go. Oh, yeah. Let's go to 707.
7: He says no problem. Sits in there. I come in here. I tell you guys to prepare to adjust. The moment we're about to walk out, Jason walks out. When he walks out, Mario follows him. Everybody follows him. What's going on? They want, they want to make this thing good. Hey, Pat, he's not talking to us. I walk out. I don't have any problem having a conversation. I said, Jason, what's going on? He said, hey, Jason, what, what is going on? Let's just do a podcast here together. Do you realize how much the Blaze pays me? I said, how much does the Blaze pay you? They pay me a lot of money, and I took a day from my schedule on Blaze to be here. I don't like that because I hate it when people waste my time. I don't like wasting his time. I said, what's your daily rate? I'll compensate you if that's how you feel. But there is no motive here. We said it's a panel. Mm-hmm. How do you not see that it's a panel? You're not happy to face off Roland Martin. Anyways, he's walking, walking.
0: So I, I skipped over something from the last one that, that he repeated that, that, that was accurate. There's nothing for me to correct from the previous one anymore because it was accurate. But I just wanted to confirm the accuracy of it. But I can't remember it right now. In this point, though, in this part, though, where he says he, he mischaracterizes intentionally our conversation. It's a, another little tiny lie, and you can call it say, well, he just misremembers. No, this stuff is all intentional, man. This guy has been hustling people in the insurance industry for a long time. He's a used car salesman. Can spot him a mile away. This whole behavior is used car salesman, no integrity behavior. And so he says that he stopped me and I, and I said, do you realize uh, how much money I make? That's not what happened. That's not what happened. What I said to him was Patrick, you're a businessman. Surely you can understand I'm in a business relationship with the blaze that pays me a significant amount of money and I've just walked out on my responsibility as a business partner. That's what I said. He says, I know people at the blaze. I know Glenn Beck, blah, blah, blah. And he does then transition into what he said, offering me money. I'm not interested in his money. I told you that yesterday. I'm looking at someone who's dealt with me in a dishonest fashion, has just stole 36 hours from me and removed me from a responsibility I take seriously. I'm in partnership with Tyler Carden and Gaston Mooney at the blaze. I'm in partnership with you, the audience, with the people that I work with. This has to be successful. There are at this point. But if you count the contributors, there's about a dozen to 15 people counting on me to do this show in a successful manner so that they can make money. I just don't fly across the country to to do debates with clowns that don't serve the interest of my business partners or myself. And so I'm trying to appeal to him as a businessman. Surely he can recognize what I'm talking about. And I'm, I'm just looking at him like, dude, I'm 55. I said that to him. I'm 55. I'm a grown man. This is immature behavior and an immature way of dealing with another grown man. That was my point. I was limiting my speech. As I told you, I get robotic with these guys because they're liars. They're dishonest. and And so let's. The next one ends at 831. It's about 90 seconds.
7: By the way, he crosses the street, red light. I had to stop. I said, bro, just relax. Yeah. Pump the brakes. Traffic is coming. Crosses the street. I said, can I offer anything to you? No. Can I send you a driver? No. I don't trust this. I don't trust that. He leaves. No problem. He takes off. Roland comes down. we do a podcast, Fiery podcast. We do a very good job. Uh, uh, Jason talks about the fact that he needed me to go against a guy like Roland Martin because he needed somebody that can go and handle somebody like Roland Martin. First of all, neither Roland or Jason Whitlock are in the top 100 most intimidating people I've ever sat with in my life, mm-hmm. I've sat with Samuel Bulgervan. I've sat with a lot of intimidating <laughs> yeah. people, very big <laughs> names. I just like both Roland Martin because he likes to get dirty and fight, mm-hmm. and I also like Jason Whitlock because he's got a complete different perspective. I probably agree with Jason more than I agree with Roland Martin on many of the policies. If you watch the podcast, it was pretty obvious for you see it. So then he used the race card. And he said, "Well, uh, uh, this is uh, this is. He would never do this with Jordan Peterson. He's using a race card. You know what he's trying to do is, uh, you know, he's doing this because I'm black. This the part that's very confusing. He's a guy that paints himself as a conservative Republican who doesn't like when the left uses their race to act as a victim. But that's exactly what you just did, Jason. And my idea was."
0: I'll get to that last part here in a second. He says accurately, Roland likes to get dirty and fight. Has, has anybody watched this show? I, I, I don't mind a fight. I'm, I'm not afraid of anything or anybody, but I don't get dirty. I used to get dirty and we talk about that on this show. But as a journalist, throughout my career, but in particularly, in particular since I started doing this show, I try to avoid all dirt. I don't wanna get dirty and roll around in the mud with someone as dishonest as Roland Martin. You start rolling around in the mud with idiots like Roland Martin, who aren't coming at you inauthentically, They're operatives. They've been trained in distraction and and dismissing any legitimate points and just moving the topic subject to subject. That's why Patrick Beck David said during his dirty little roll around spectacle with Roland Martin, he said, man, you've been here 90 minutes and you haven't answered one question. It's a waste of time. And that's what I told Patrick Beck David Originally, when he came down in the green room, it's a waste of time. I've already done it. Four or five years ago in my home. I don't I don't have an interest in getting dirty and fighting with an idiot. Not afraid of a fight. We're in a fight. Not afraid of. But dirty. That's not me. Then he goes to this race car thing. Did he listen to Tuesday show and have you all been listening to this show? Th- this whole thing, Jason paints himself as a conservative Republican. When did I not say on Tuesday conservative? We put out a social media clip. It's on my Twitter feed with me quoted as saying, Being a conservative is completely irrelevant. Conservatives won't save you. The entire message of this show for two straight years, politics is not the problem. Politics will not save you. I said it on Tuesday. We put out clips pointing to that. When I was explaining to him, I was like, Patrick Beck David considers himself some sort of conservative or lightweight conservative. And I was like, Conservatives won't save you. They're just as dishonest, just as corrupt. Being a conservative doesn't stop you from lying. I said they're playing for the wrong C team. Play for Christ. As best I can tell Patrick Beck David doesn't have any Christian religious values, at least in his dealings with me and in his rebuttal. But the entire point of this show, has been repeatedly the Republican Party and conservatives won't save you. I've never, I've told you and been honest on this show, I've never voted. These are lies and obvious distortions. All these little tiny lies all add up to a big lie. This is what a used car salesman does as it relates to the race car. If any of you out there, if, if that's the, if that's the perception of me or cause again, I'm just a Christian. Don't put that conservative Republican thing on me. Don't do it. But if you are a conservative Christian or if you have this vision of black people that consider themselves conservative Republicans and your expectation is oh, black conservative Republican, Thinks there's no racism. That's not true for one, but as it relates to me, are you listening to this show? Are you? Do, do you comprehend this guy keeps saying he likes me? My voice is necessary. He's followed my work. Have you listened to my message? I know racism exists. I know that I've experienced it. I know that racism is not bigger than Christ. I know that racism doesn't stop me from achieving in this country. I think all these people running around, oh, racism, I can't make it in America. I think that's BS. I've experienced it. You can still make it in this country. Racism is just a form of unfairness and you're going to experience Unfairness in this world. And if you don't have Christ on your side, you're going to fold from unfairness. And you're going going to fall into a victimhood and I can't make it. I've experienced unfairness. Patrick Fraud David is an idiot. He's painting himself as smart, but anybody with a brain knows my message. I am not. In denial of racial bias. It flows all directions. Black people racist to white people. White people racist to black people. It flows all directions. In America, the way it used to be, you could overcome it. In in, in any place in the planet, you put Jesus on your team and you can overcome it. That's my message. I'm not in denial. I talk about, and see, Patrick McDavid, nobody complains when I say, and I've said it many times on this show, these white liberals and their their little low expectations and all their little solutions, I call them racist all the time. They don't like black people. They started the KKK. They want black people to obey them and see them as God. They're racist. I do it all the time. Patrick Bet David just doesn't like it when I say, no, man, this 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 BS you're doing smells racist to me because you wouldn't do it to Jordan Peterson. You wouldn't do it to Dave Rubin. You wouldn't do it to Ben Shapiro. You you did it to some dude named Coach Greg Adams. I went and looked up the video because people kept emailing me like, oh, they pulled the same stunt with Coach Greg Adams. And guess what? He's a black dude. But, but again, a used car salesman like you, you'll be unfair to anybody. But it smelled racist to me, because, oh, let me throw this Negro some, some, some money. Let me set up a bout between Jason Whitlock and Roland Martin, and let's have these two Negroes wrestle for our entertainment. And you didn't even tell Roland Martin what you were doing, according to Roland Martin. You're a manipulative, arrogant person who's bought into his wealth and thinks, hey, I'm gonna fly this Negro in from Nashville and make him wrestle uh, wrestle Roland Martin for my entertainment. No, you're not. I don't care who's uncomfortable with what I'm saying. No, you're not. And just because I'm a Christian, and just because you're dumb enough to think I'm some conservative, or some Republican, I reject all of those titles, not because I hate them, it's because they're irrelevant. I've preached constantly on this show judge me as a Christian, and you will find all kinds of flaws worthy of criticizing me. But don't judge me as some political figure, because I'm not. Let's play the last one. I'm going, I'm going to get in trouble here, but I'm. I'm not done with this and, and telling people they're going to have to wait. <clears throat> Go. Let's play the last what one. What you just did, Jason.
7: And my idea was, because I got two suggestions here to the finish this thought off, what we learned from this experience and as well as feedback to you, Jason, to wrap this whole thing up because I'm not going to comment on this again. Number one, what we learned from this, we will never waste our resources without telling you who's going to be part of the panel. So when Rob and I had a meeting and others, we said, let's make sure everybody knows before we buy the tickets because it is a waste of our money as well. We also lost money. So number one, we learned from our lessons, made a mistake. Next time, anytime we invite with a panel, we're going to say, here's who it's going to be before we spend the money on the flight. But I got a recommendation for you, Jason Whitlock. Your show is called Fearless. If you really want to have a show called Fearless, you either become fearless and face off with anybody to have a debate with, or you change your show's name to Fearful. But you can't say you're fearless and come to a place and then say, we have feminine energy and the person that has the feminine energy is the person that walked out and we're right here waiting for you. So you go ahead and figure that part out the way you want. Having said that, I respect the work you've done. I think you're a super necessary voice. I had a very good time with Roland Martin. I think we would've had blast if it was the three of us, but it didn't work
0: out. So best- So just keep in mind, Roland Martin tweeted out, he didn't know nothing about it. He wouldn't have done the debate, whatever as well. So he, Lied to Roland Martin, too. Uh, but, but as it relates to this thing that you do a show called Fearless. I do do a show called Fearless. And we're very fearless on my show called Fearless. You do a show called the Patrick Bet-David Show, where you routinely interview people on your show. Your show isn't called fearless. You asked me to come down and do the Patrick bet David show. I'm not an fly me to you escort. You you can't, Oh, I'm gonna buy you a plane ticket, baby. Come down here and dance for me. Do that fearless show that you do in partnership with the blaze. Do it for me. That's not who I am. And if you can't understand that, you, maybe you've made so much money that I'm just a little ple- a peasant plebe, and, and you can offer me a plane ticket and I'm supposed to come fly and shake and twerk for you. You got me, you got me all effed up. All the way. Have you ever watched this show? Have any of you questioning me about the explanation that I gave? Have you watched this show? I am not a bought and paid for anything. I'm not for hire or rental to preach anybody's message. Anybody that gets involved with me knows I'm going to speak my mind and do what I believe is best. And we're going to agree on that up front so that there's no misunderstandings. There's nobody from ESPN to Fox Sports to to OutKick to anybody where, where, where we didn't agree up front on. Here's what I'm going to do. Are you good with it? And then I do it. But this show is fearless. You do the Patrick bet David show that's filled with lies and inaccuracies. If so, if you if I come down to do the Patrick bet David show, I'll come down prepared to lie. But because I don't, I'm not comfortable lying. And because I don't want to wrestle with idiots like Roland Martin when I've already done it four or five years ago in my home, doing him a favor. You can't send me a plane ticket and say, oh, work for me. I've, I've rented you out for the day. See, this show is fear. I'm nobody's punk man. I, 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 and if that makes me arrogant, makes me look bad, but I don't know any other man particularly of my age, that wants to take 36 hours out of their time, skip their primary responsibility to go do something, some person they've never met, to go do what they want done. And the reason why I said that you clearly didn't want to do that dirty wrestling match with with Roland is because you told me in the green room. But but see, when I told him that, man, I've already done this with Roland, it's a waste of time. He goes, but yeah, I'm gonna be the moderator, and I'll moderate in a way that favors you. That's what he told me. That's what he wanted to do with Roland. I don't have any interest in it. It's a waste of my time. And so yes, when he initially said, hey, I'll interview you, And then I'll interview Roland. I did say, yeah. And sat down. And then I spent five minutes going, hold on. What did I agree to in writing? And I went through the emails and saw that, yeah. I asked them specifically, what's the interview about? And they told me what it was about. I was like, this is what I agreed to. They're lying. I'm done wasting my time. I don't trust them. I'm leaving. I'm out. And that's why I left. But if, if you want me to do fearless, we'll fly you to Nashville and we'll do fearless on the fearless show. The Patrick bet David show. You want to interview me? I'll come down there and do the Patrick bet David show. You know, it's like when I go on Tucker Carlson, I'm not flying to New York or Florida or wherever Tucker Carlson is. They send a truck for me to interview, for, for him to interview me and to do the Tucker Carlson show. And that's what I do, the Tucker Carlson show. Not fearless, not mud wrestling with an idiot like uh, Roland Martin. If you want to do a fearless show, create one and do it yourself. Don't think you can rent me out for a plane ticket and all these lies. If 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 this wasn't all orchestrated, when I leave that hotel at eight thirty, like it says on that itinerary, for the information I checked, car service picks you up at eight thirty, brings you to the studio. When I leave at 8:30, there's no reason to tell the driver, "Hey, spend, uh, kill 15 minutes and drive Whitlock around the city, put him on the highway." When he got, I'm just around the corner. Why'd you tell him that if he had nothing to hide? Why bring me around the back? Why s- say that? Uh, like at one point, he said something about Roland was running late, but when Whitlock got here, they were both in the building. I thought Roland's running late. Whitlock can be delayed, but Whitlock left at 8:30, got driven around for 15 minutes, and guess what? Roland was there, based on your telling, before I got there. So he wasn't running late. You're lying. You're telling tiny little manipulative lies that used car salesmen tell when they're caught with their pants down, or when they're just trying to make a sale, and it's all your money. Your your values are all related to money. You just run into someone that my values aren't attached to money. They're attached to God, or at least they try to be. And I know I make mistakes and and I regret my mistakes. I'm no, I'm certainly not perfect. I'm just as flawed as anybody else. But I, I don't answer to you. I don't dance for you. I don't dance for nobody. God tells me to dance. I'll dance. Play tomorrow, we'll see you tomorrow.
5: Yeah.
2: Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life, like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom.